Yes. Scott, what episode are we watching this week? Usually you ask that question to Rage, but that's okay. Today we're doing time. Oh, what was that? The focus rate's screwing up. Not again. Well, what do we do now? Uh, 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 Are we setting it? it? No good, no good, no good. Scott, 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 come in, come in. Check to make sure that it's synced to the focus right control software. Uh, that did it. How did you know what to do? I I don't know. It just came to me. Since when have you known audiovisual? If you could do that all the time, you'd actually be useful. Too bad, but... Pants! Pants! Put them on! When I take my pants off, I get creative! Sci-fi malady. Symptom 227. Timeless. Carrot Wong can act. Did you say Carrot Wong? No, I said Garrett Wong. Sounded like you said Carrot Wong. (laughs) Thank you. You know, I I lost 11 teeth a couple years ago. My pronunciation hasn't been as good as it used to be, and I sometimes sound like Sylvester the Cat. Okay, because Carrot Wong would not have been a good actor. <laughs> he would have been, Rob Schneider is the carrot. <laughs> anyway, Sickies, uh update on Jodorowsky's uh, Dune book that was bought for $3 million. It still sucks. Yeah. Back, back being, to you, Scott. <laughs> being a non-fungible token didn't make it any better, did it? No, they bought the actual book. They bought the one of the actual oh. books for three million dollars. That's right. Which is uh stupid. Which is about two whatever one dollar. What what's the one dollar before three million? Two hundred and two point two <laughs> two. I don't know. Two million nine hundred and ninety nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars more than it's worth. That was harder than it should have been. Yes. <laughs> Why was he trying to take $1 off of $3 million that no, hard? No, I'm saying the book was worth at least a dollar, at least in paper. You could recycle the paper. Well, because you usually say $2.9 million. You and... won't say $2,999,999. <laughs> True. But the point is, there, there's some good H.R. Geiger work in there and some other stuff. So, they, you know, it's worth a dollar at least. This week on Jodorowsky's Malady. No. Um, <laughs> we Still wrap sucks. up. Except if I do the supplemental, which I plan to. We finish up the main episodes of Trekking into the New Year, the best of Star Trek Voyager, with a Harry Kim episode. And I know that some of you are going, what? But you've already heard the title of it. It's timeless. And amazingly, timeless, in my opinion, and many others, is the best episode of Star Trek Voyager. And it's a Harry Kim story. Story? (laughs) It's a Harry Kim story that is seconded by Chakotay. Two blocks of wood. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> well, you find out that it's not really uh, the actor Harry Kim's fault. Uh, and Chakotay, well, even with a good director like LeVar Burton, there's nothing much you can do with him, I guess. Chakotay is, well, just Chakotay. He's given some really potentially passionate love scenes to really convey some emotion. And You mean today? <laughs> I will say that... um. I am amazed that the sequoia tree can emote that much. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But Garrett Wong, on the other hand, actually does pull off bitter, hating, bitter, self-hating man who's trying to undo a mistake that killed 150 of his friends very, very well. And you you feel all the passion and the the guilt that he carries with him from that moment. Uh, Today's episode is timeless. 
why did I choose Timeless? Well, quite frankly, I do think that this is the best piece of all-around storytelling that Voyager did. Um, it shows you everything that could be right with this show again. My, my themes through this have been, there's been two themes. What Voyager can be when it was remembering what it was supposed to be, and why Captain Janeway might be a megalomaniac who thinks her crew members are minions to do her bidding. Less on the Janeway part this time, though. I also said I would find you guys good Janeway at one point, and this is good Janeway. This is her being a leader who is a who's a caring, motherly figure to her crew when needed, and a and a military leader who is strong and forceful when she has to be. Um, she weighs the components, she looks at the odds, and she says, "We're going to try this risky technology to get home because too many times before with this crew, I played it safe and said there'll be another time." This time, maybe there'll never be a better time. I believe that this crew can pull this off and let's do it. She's horribly freaking wrong. And it was a terrible decision, but she made a decision. <laughs> but you can't fault the decision-making logic that got to that point. Well, maybe when we get to rips and picks. But the other part of this is you didn't kill the episode with Janeway. No. She was there. Yeah. How she should have been written. The strong captain who cares about her crew does what is necessary, and is unafraid to make the tough decision when it's put on her plate and no one else can. Also, she's just in there when she needs to be. Right. Janeway gives the order to use the quantum slipstream drive. In other episodes, Janeway would have created the quantum slipstream drive herself and realized herself that it might have had a, a problem. This episode gives you a good, strong Janeway without overplaying it and, and basically like over-seasoning the dish. And it, allow, it allows Kate Mulgrew's talents to come through. And it, it lets two characters who usually don't get to carry the show actually get in and take the lead. And, and then the other part of this is Voyager's lost in the Delta Quadrant. This is an episode that you should only get on a ship lost in the Delta Quadrant. There's never really a reason for the Enterprise-D to do this. You're not going to see this in Enterprise. You're not going to see this in Deep Space Nine. They shouldn't be needing to experiment with unproven, untested, only simulated and failed 23 out of 23 times in the holodeck engine technology to get home unless you've been lost in the Delta Quadrant for five years and you're not sure that you can survive another year out there without mentally cracking or without the ship actually just giving out on you. Okay, I got a question about that, and I probably should have asked this from the get-go, but... With the Delta Quadrant, why is it so difficult to get back? I mean, they have warp engines, but what is it that makes this basically the Odyssey in well, space? Warp only can get you so fast uh, up to until warp 10 engines and other stupid okay. law-breaking. Okay, well, for, if you look at, okay, so if you look at a map of the Federation, the Federation sits on the border of the Alpha Quadrant near the Beta Quadrant towards the... If you drew a north-south pole, even though that doesn't exist, towards the south, okay? The Delta Quadrant, where they went to, is 70,000 light years away from Earth. Mm -hmm. Now, to give you an example of how fast a ship can travel in a year, the Borg Cube that the Enterprise met in Kyuhu traveled over 1,000 light years in one year. And the Borg can travel faster than warp 9.9. So, if you were able to go warp 9.9 .9 for a full year, nonstop, like the Borg can, doing nothing else, you could travel a thousand light years. 
and they're 70,000 light years away, which they say puts them 70 years away from home. Uh, the Voyager can go 9.975. To say that they're 70 years away from home at maximum warp is probably a lie. But if you do the math, it works out more or less works out more or less to what so, the, the speed limit set by the Borg in Q-Who. So then this must have been something I should have for sickies that haven't seen the show. How did they wind up in the Delta Quadrant? Um, the caretaker pulled them through some type of um, the who the caretaker. He took care of the Ocampo. Don't don't. He's a long lived. He's a long lived spore assisting an entity that manifests himself as an old man, otherwise known as Banjo Man, who who um broke all laws of physics by yeah. dragging them through a sort of wormhole. He he creates a wave, and it's a massive t- displacement wave that eventually sent Voyager all the way across the galaxy. Turns out he was doing this from all over the galaxy and then sending them home. But with Voyager, he just, he died, so he didn't have time to send them home. Oh, okay. And then uh, Janeway destroyed the array. Uh, Tuvok had actually figured out how to activate the program to send them home. But Janeway chose to destroy the array because the Kazon would have occupied the array and used it to destroy the Ocampa. And Janeway decided she couldn't send her crew home at the cost of the destruction of the Ocampan civilization. Okay. Okay. And Janeway carries that guilt with her throughout this entire seven-year arc. Mm-hmm. And they do come back to that at times, where uh, season five that we're watching right now starts with them trapped in a void that they're in for months. No stars, nothing. They ran into a desert in space, and Janeway hadn't left her, her cabin in like 45 days. She was captaining the crew from her quarters. Mm-hmm. And basically, Janeway had a mental breakdown at the start of this season and was blaming herself for the crew being stuck out here. And the decision she made to keep them there. So that actually, I'm glad you brought that up because honestly, you're seeing an evolution of the Janeway character this season because in the past where she wouldn't have taken this risk, now she's going to take this risk because too many times she said, we'll find another way home. We'll stick to our principles. We won't do this. This time, she thinks she can get home. It's five seasons in. Maybe they are going to get home this time. Maybe they get them home and they finish off season six and seven at home because they ran out of ideas to do on the Delta Quadrant. It was potentially believable that you could this could be the way you get them home. But ultimately, Voyager here remembered what it's supposed to be. It's a ship alone that has to take great risks without reinforcement. And then a lot of the stuff, most of the stuff that Voyager does wrong that it should have been able to not do wrong it remembered to do in this episode. This is an episode about Harry Kim. Chakotay's in there as a bit player. The romance arc is in there as a side story. The whole idea about the Technobabble warp drive is in there as a side story. This is to show Ensign Eager Harry Kim believing that he can do something, wanting to get home so badly that he was willing to say, The simulation that shows they die 23 out of 23 times is wrong and that Harry can fly ahead and make these complex mathematical calculations to send back the adjustments that Voyager needs to get them home. And he has to watch as his selfish desire to get home, even at a risk, kills everyone he cares about back on Voyager. Everyone. Then he has to live with that guilt, survivor's guilt, that he can't live with. He Getting home at this cost wasn't worth it. And Harry goes on an arc of redemption. And this time, at the end, when he can redeem himself, he can't get Voyager home. 
And I know that it's okay. You can't get Voyager home. The comp, the the calculation is too complex. Somehow though, it's not too complex. What he can do is get them out of the slipstream alive. And this is a really telling moment for Harry Kim because Harry has always been the guy who will do anything to get home, take any chance to get home, any risk to get home because living stuck in the Delta Quadrant isn't worth living. Getting home and potentially dying when you get home is worth it. And in that last minute, when he has one chance to either send better corrections to Seven or to kick them out of the slipstream so they all live, even if it takes them longer to get home, he gives up on his dream of getting home, knowing that it means he's not going to get home. Knowing that he's not going to be able to get them out of there so that they get all the way home in the slipstream that time. It's a great story arc for Harry Kim. It's a great evolution of the character. And he has to come face to face with his failure 15 years ago and make another choice. I think it's, it's a wonderful episode and it, it really is a nice way to, to show growth in this forgotten character of Harry Kim that they almost killed off in Scorpion with the uh, species 8472 because they didn't know what to do with him. When they wrote the first part, he was going to die in the second part. They were pretty sure of that. Mm-hmm. Then they decided to keep him. But um, I think it's absolutely the best example of script writing you're going to get because they remember it's a Harry Kim episode and they don't try to make it about anyone else. That was one of the things that TNG learned. That's one of the things I said Voyager shouldn't have had to go through these problems because they had learned that. But, Rage, do you want to try to give a summary? Yes. So it starts off on a plant, frozen planet with two people looking for something and they find Voyager. You come to find out that that's Chakotay and Harry Kim and... They are wanted felons, but, well, let me backtrack. They go inside the Voyager, find what they're looking for, which is uh, Seven of Nine in a remarkably well-preserved state, as with other members of the crew. But that's uh, a separate issue we'll talk about later. And she and what they do is they take Seven of Nine's brain processor unit, whatever, Borg parts in the head hole. Interplexing beacon. <laughs> And uh, then they also get a copy of um, the dock and they take them back to their little shuttlecraft and start them up and explain what happened and say, Doc, I need you to cut seven of nine's brain out, Borg parts out so we could somehow temporarily send a message back to her because my calculation is wrong because the Voyager going back in time, 15 years uh, had a quantum yada 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 techno babble engine that was going to put them in a slipstream to give them a kind of chance of getting home. But there was a 0.425 variance, uh, phase variance. Surprised it wasn't 0.47. <laughs> I guess they were showed restraint. And they were, that could potentially kill them. So what Harry Kim and Chakotay figured out is well, if we get in a little shuttle in front of Voyager while traveling, we can adjust as needed. The problem is his adjustments didn't work and he got out and him and Chakotay got back to Earth safe and sound and were heroes. But Voyager crashed. So Chakotay and uh, Kim. Kim, who were desperate to find them, eventually the Federation gave up on him, on trying to fight Voyager. So he and Chakotay quit, went rogue, flew around space trying to find it. And when they did, they tried to send a message back to seven to nine with new corrections, new calculations. And then Jordy LaForge shows up to try to stop them. 
and in some usual Star Trek timing nonsense, uh, they find out the calculations didn't work because they're still there, even though they transmitted them. So Harry Kim sends out some new transmissions that tells them how to at least get out of slipstream. Does that mean that they all are stuck in the Delta Quadrant still? Yeah, but at least everyone's still alive. And hey, guess what? They shaved off 10 years from their trip. So, Yahoo. And Harry gets a nice uh, message, message from, from himself. himself that says, hey, guess what? You did this, yada, yada, yada. That's how they find out that Seven of Nine got the message because when she first received it, they just kind of accepted the fact that Harry was sending it from the shuttle because they didn't have the luxury of time to try to figure it out. They just had to go with it. And uh, then they came to find out that, nope, it was a message from an alternate future because time travel. Yeah. Another time travel episode, folks. Voyager did a lot of that. Voyager liked to mess with time more than any other, more than any other series. Voyager liked to mess with time. But this to me is probably the best time travel episode done in the entire franchise. I'm going to be honest, this is probably, the more I think about it, this might be one of the top 10 episodes of Star Trek that I've ever seen. It's, you know, I watched it twice for this, for this week, rewatched it, and I, I just think it's uh, one of the better stories that the franchise has ever told. That said, at the end of this episode, Janeway tells Harry, all that matters to me is somewhere, at some point in time, you came through for us, Harry. So the question I ask is, and the show lets you decide this, and I really like this about this episode because it lets you make this decision without, without even really telling you how you're supposed to think or even coming down on a side of it themselves. Um, is Harry, are Harry and Chakotay morally correct to go back in time, change history, to save 148 people or 150 people that are their friends? But in that moment, eliminate everything that's happened in the last 15 years. There'll be children who are never born now. There'll be people, lives that are different, marriages that'll never happen, relationships that'll never happen. Everything, they're eliminating 15 years of history for the entire galaxy to save 150 of their friends. Janeway at the end calls it a commendable action. And one thing that I think the show, where I said the show lets you make this decision, here's the thing. I love that they sent Captain Jordy LaForge in basically the Enterprise-D, even though it's the Challenger, to intercept them. Because had they sent another captain, that's just another captain. This is Geordi LaForge. This is a good guy. Coming to get our good guys. And there's a civil conversation, and they're talking it out friendly. And that may seem corny, but the, the episode is telling you, man, is anyone really right here? They're fugitives from the law. And this is not only a good guy. This is one of the arch good guys. This is one of our heroes. It, it, it's not Captain Picard and it's not Captain Cisco, but it's Jordy LaForge. He's one of the good guys and he's coming to stop them. And if Jordy thinks they shouldn't do this, if this was an episode of Next Generation, we'd be rooting for Jordy. But it's an episode of Voyager. So we're rooting for Kim and we're getting two different moral messages here. You almost get to see what the message would have been in another series is we have to protect history. And even though these 150 people had to die, they had to die to protect the lives of everyone else. That said, Chakotay and Harry right? Or is it the right decision for Chakotay and Harry? 
and what would you have done in their situation? Well, it can't be any worse than uh, what Red Foreman was trying to do last week, eradicating entire civilizations. Uh, oh, boy, was it the right decision. I, you know, this is going to make Scott maybe a little surprised, maybe not. I can't really say because you have a guy, too, but mostly Harry Kim. But they're sacrificing themselves racked, to save others. Racked with guilt. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking about the, there are relationships that might not happen. Butterfly effect. Because, yes, Thomas, that's where I was going. Like the, the relationship that Chakotay had. Where the woman was saying, um, I'm willing to sacrifice our relationship to save 150 people. And as I was watching it, I was ready to say... Well, let's start off this episode with, hi, I'm Scott, and I can't possibly understand why someone would do that. But, uh, I could. I'm, especially if she saw how much it meant to Chakotay, that this was racking with guilt. He finds a way to do it, and she finds that she's saving lives. But you introduced a, to a, a little kink in there that, well, something else might not have happened. Or might have happened. Who knows? Harry doesn't seem to care, regardless of whether it does or doesn't. He's not considering whether that's possible. He's just looking at it in terms of. So I would say, is he doing the right thing? Certainly in his mind. Um, but. It's. I would say. Long answer, yes, with a maybe. Short answer, no, with a but. I'm really <laughs> succeeding this month with these questions because uh, I keep getting that answer out of Mark, and that's how I know I'm No, I've you're not keep <laughs> getting answers. This is the first time you got that answer You've issued that answer today, but you've issued that answer this month quite a few times. No, so I haven't. The other months I was saying, the other times I was saying no, that I was... At least one other episode this month Okay, go on, that. tell me which one. I think it was the first episode. What was it? With two Vicks. Go on. You said I, I. I'll guarantee you. We go back to the tape. One of these episodes. You're going short answer. Yes, with a butt. Long answer. No. No, I was okay with Tuvix getting the can. Thomas. All right. Um, I think it all comes down to a. We have to accept time travel is a thing, mm. and acceptable here. Yep. Because if you don't accept time travel as a thing, that brings up a whole bunch of different morals and issues. But if you accept time travel as a thing. And has happened other times. This isn't the first time time travel's happened. So if we've accepted time travel's a thing, <clears throat> the moral responsibility, depending on where your morals lie, I think you might be able to say yes, that they're doing the right thing, being that they are saving people from dying, and, again, with time travel being accepted as a thing and as a possibility, this entire timeline no longer exists, and you're basically going back and doing a different run of it, that it doesn't matter if these things don't happen, because that no longer is the timeline. But that's only if you accept time travel's happened is happening, is a possibility, and you can do it. 
it still has a butterfly effect that might in the long term be a no because maybe in this timeline with Voyager not making it, something amazing happens down the road that, I don't know, the galaxy has universal peace and everyone's one giant alliance now and everything's great. Well, you never know because now you've taken away that possibility. So... I want to say yes, but again, with the butterfly effect, might be a, might be a no. So, I tend to come from when I think about ethical dilemmas in a general sense. I come, I tend to come from a utilitarian counting school where you look at the most good for the most number of people involved. So, if I'm if I'm a dispassionate third party observer, Harry and Chakotay's action to me is immoral and selfish. Um, that being said, if I'm Chakotay or Harry Kim, it's the only action I can take. Um, so is it an, is it a moral action? In my opinion, no, it's not a moral action. It's a selfish action. It would be like, um, I don't say like a, a selfish good alignment. Does that exist? What's close to like selfish good, chaotic good? No, just say selfish good. Okay. It's a selfish good. Um alignment choice here um he's it's it's he's saving 150 people at the cost of who knows how many um but it's the only action he can make i would argue that if you knew you could bring back your family your friends and your loved one and you chose not to i don't think that's a decision that many people could make you know you have that old question of you're standing the trains on the tracks and if you if you throw the switch one person will die if you if you don't throw the switch everyone on the train will die almost everyone answers i throw the switch then we change it to the person on the track is your mother. And I don't think anyone throws the switch. And, um, and it, you know, it, it's an age old moral dilemma, which is why morals and ethics. I love the nuanced way that this episode goes about it is that I am not a moral objection um, objectionist. I believe um, that it's subjective but- and, and that it's situational and that it's fluid. So the moral action for Harry Kim and Chakotay here. The only action they can take is what they're doing. And then you talked about Chakotay's uh, Tessa. Tessa, yeah. I think that even though I would have liked to seen a better actress in that role so that the lines had some power and I believed this love, it's the ultimate expression of love. That's that you're willing to sacrifice your partner because you know the only way they can be truly happy. You're not sacrificing your partner, but you're sacrificing your happiness. You're sacrificing your entire you know, well, you know that it, you may well, not be that's, this happy. That's well, it's possibility, but you're also sacrificing the relationship. Yeah. Being there will never happen. So <clears throat> you're making the choice to say, I, you, I know that what will make you most happiest. You have to sit there and say, me loving you, you're still going to have a hole in your heart and your soul. And I love you enough to help you fill that and do what needs to be done for you, even if it means that I will lose you. And yeah, she's willing to do saying. that with no reservations. That's what I was saying. All right, let's flip the question. Jordy LaForge. Ooh. Is he the good guy or is he the bad guy or is he just doing his duty, like Emmanuel I, Kant might say? I, ooh. I would actually say <clears throat> it's a dual answer here. Because if you hear him, he's like uh, telling when in that conversation, he's like, I, oh, let me one more thing. Evaluate Jordy's actions, and you don't know that it's Harry and Chakotay in the shuttle. 
Okay. Well, for one, he first talks to them and says, I would be doing the same thing, but I got to protect the timeline. So he already is basically going on comp. I am doing my duty. I understand why you want to do this, but we have a timeline to protect. If it you don't know who's in it, then you can't really like, say go along and go. I, I I would be doing this in your place, <clears throat> but he would still be doing his duty at that point. But this is where I also think yes, because he's not just doing his duty, because he's absolutely doing his duty. He's being a captain. He's protecting the timeline. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He's also doing what he thinks is morally right. There are millions of people's lives right now in balance who will never exist, who will never happen. The entire universe will change, maybe for the good, maybe for the bad. Don't know. The timeline's currently set and they're about to change it. Can't really allow that. So my job is to stop it. My moral obligation is to stop it. I think. It's a dual yes. He's both doing his duty to, from comp, but he's also doing the morally right thing in his eyes and I think overall. Rage? Well, he's clearly doing his job, but I'm not going to suppose what he's thinking because uh, I don't like playing what if. Because also, one thing I wanted to bring up with your last question you're supposing that a bunch of things won't happen because of them and playing butterfly effect when we don't know if that's necessarily true. We can say it's true if you wipe out an entire civilization like Red Foreman did, but will it happen here? Because what happened to those time police in the queues? If it was so bad, wouldn't they have gotten in the way? Yeah, we got to forget about them again. So uh, obviously it wasn't so bad. Otherwise... They would have gotten in the way. The temporal, the temporal agency is the worst thing they ever did because once you have them exist for one cool episode, you have a problem ever doing a time travel episode again. But I'm just oh, saying. But you forgot they got a year of no. They got one year where they had very low funding, so they could never go <laughs> right. back. They funded right. the temporal police. But what I'm saying is. If you're going to play the experiment of the game of, well, what if the people die because they didn't get home? Oh, well, I can play the what if game too. The temporal police didn't see a problem. Yeah, but they died. They died the first time through the timeline. Isn't that how it was supposed to go? What's that? Voyager died the first time through the timeline. So the way it was supposed to go. The could way be. That had to play could out be, was, but all we're doing is supposed play, to die. Could we? But we're just playing lots of what ifs here so I can do that too. But we know what happened if they... Uh, okay. No, I, we I just, don't, because right. they made it in the long run. So clearly, there was just supposed to be a little shift, because at the end of the day, when everything went back and was reset, it's as though it never happened. Blip. It's like when Q tells Picard in Tapestry, you're not that important. Exactly. <laughs> so they didn't make that big of a deal one way or the other. Exactly. Did you just cop out of an answer there? Me? No, Mark. Did I cop out of an answer? Yes, because okay. I just said I don't like playing what ifs. But I will say Jordy did his job. Did he feel he was doing the moral right thing? I don't know because we don't get his mindset. Jordy's the good guy here. Because, I because think. he clearly. But it almost seemed like he was half heartedly trying to do it. 
he he thought, you know, hey, it's a shuttlecraft. I got a galaxy class starship. I'm going to be able to stop them. He's trying to stop them without killing them. But he did. He didn't yeah. seem to have his whole heart in it because he's as he says, I if I was in your situation, I might be doing the same thing. Um, I think wrong Jordy's, guy to send Fetties. Yeah, <laughs> Jordy. Jordy to me is still the good guy here. He's the guy we're supposed to be rooting for. If this was any other episode but Voyager and any other people in the shuttle, they would be considered the selfish guys who have to accept that their friends had to die for the greater good of the galaxy and the preservation of the timeline. That being said, what I would fault Jordy with is exactly what you said, Rage. I don't think he really, given the severity of the problem, um, went into this with uh, guns blazing as full as he should have. Yeah, um, and you're right. They had to They had to send the good guy in. Because if they had just sent Captain Buttonface, uh, we just kind of would have been thinking, ooh, that bad Buttonface. Yep. You don't send Captain Jellico in from Chain of Command that nobody <laughs> likes anyway. Wow. And, and relieved Riker of duty. But um, yeah, you send in a good guy, the arch good guy, maybe the nicest, most mild-mannered guy in Next Generation where nobody had an edge and attitude except Worf. And, and even uh, then, that's <laughs> as a Klingon, he wasn't even much of an edge. So no, no, not he wasn't Deep Space Nine dwarf. Um, all right, I got one more question to ask them. We'll get the rips and picks and anything you guys want to bring up. Oh, I got um, a good one coming. He's got a good one. Let's evaluate Janeway's decision making here, and ask. If this is maybe showing that Janeway is starting to become unfit for command at a certain point here, that the years in the Delta Quadrant have broken her down. Because here's the thing. The designer of the engine has determined a fatal flaw. He's tested it out on the holodeck 23 times, and 23 times they die. Everybody else seems to agree. Tom says, it's an Edsel. It's going to kill us. Chakotay says, if we take this, if we take this flight tomorrow, we're going to be in shuttle pods, uh, in escape pods. Twelve minutes later, Tuvok says, "The logical, dispassionate Vulcan, we should not do this." Even Torres and the Borg drone are at that point saying, "It's not going to work as is." And then Tom says, "But Harry has an idea. Let's let Ensign Eager fly ahead in a shuttlecraft, who's not your strongest guy mathematically." And send these corrections back so that you can ride the distortion quantum wave all the way through like the rapids. He's your pilot car. Well, don't forget, he also has to do the complicated mathematical problems yep. within split seconds and yep. send it back within split seconds to get this 0.04 deviance down, mm -hmm. which, again, is a small number. And you need to get that variance down within split seconds. So on one hand, on one hand, we have 23 scientific simulations, the designer of the engine, the chief engineer, the super smart Borg drone, your first officer, and the logical, super intelligent Vulcan telling you, we die if we do this. On the other hand, we have Harry, I don't care how slim the chance is, let's take the chance to get home, Kim, telling you, Oh, the guy who's almost died more than anyone. You know, everyone dies and comes back. He's died half a dozen times. This one is even a doppelganger from the other universe that survived because this universe is Kim died. Oh, anyway, yeah, that is true. That's true. Wow. Yeah. This guy, he just dies once a season, at least. He says, I can get us through here. Not your strongest mathematical guy. 
He's an ensign. He's been on the ship for five years, and he hasn't earned a promotion to lieutenant junior grade. In this time, Tom, the felon, out on work release, has been promoted to lieutenant, demoted to ensign, promoted to lieutenant. You've convinced me, Harry. Why have you convinced me? So I, it, I'm going to just lead here and say Janeway's decision-making is breaking down. Janeway's, I'm asking to answer my question. Her decision-making is breaking down. Before that, you also see that emotionally she might be breaking down because she tells Chakotay to cancel his plans and come join her for dinner, which she is a captain who has kept a distance. A distance. And now all of a sudden, this is part of the will Chakotay and Janeway get together? Won't they get together? And I don't know if that after dessert comment was about dessert or something <laughs> you know, else. You no, know, you know, it's funny you bring Thank that you. up. Thank you. I was right. That, that whole comment that was, was weird. That was one of my things where it was like, uh, are you trying to pick up Chakotay? Because that's what that sounds like. Between like seasons four and six, they might have got together, might not have got together. Then Chakotay got the hots for seven in season seven. That was a whole nother time yeah it was a weird pivot but that happens in last seasons but in my mind you're seeing in this episode seven or eight episodes earlier to start the season in the void Janeway has captained the ship from her quarters for 45 days because she's blaming herself for getting the crew stranded out here and everything that happens to her um oh I would absolutely agree with you I think she's I think she's losing it and I think this would have been probably a point where the doctor should step up after they're done and say captain you're taking a 90-day medical leave. Chakotay will captain the ship for now. The stress has damaged you. You are not fit for command. I don't. I think this decision and the way she got to it shows that she has become... It's an experimental technology that's never been tested. I'm not sure that she's fit to be in command at this point. Well, I, I will go next and agree with you 100%. I think five years of high stress, high... You know, pretty much being on combat footing a good chunk of the time. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I think it was King. One of the, uh, the captains, U.S. Navy during World War II, mm-hmm. wasn't at the Battle of Midway because he had to be taken off for medical reasons because of stress. Oh, it was um, uh, Halsey. But he but, also had Halsey also had shingles. Yes, but the stress was inflaming it flaming it and uh medically Nimitz had to actually tell him go to a hospital you are actually look you're making your men nervous right so that's what i'm saying like janeway's been doing five years of high stress and i think if they're in alpha quadrant she's not a terrible captain but she's been showing a lot of tendencies over the five years they've been showing her to be a dictator to be a terrible captain at times, and morally questionable. And then again, beginning of this season, she's had a mental crack. She's completely broken. And then at this point, she just wants to get home so badly that she's taking any chance, chance, the smallest chance from one person, which again, you're right. Why do you take it from him of all people? If it was maybe the Borg, I have a possibility. Or if it's anyone else, but you took it from the one guy, you go, why did you take it from him? Again, I'm not even taking it from Wesley Crusher over him because he's been shown by the Traveler to have an, an instinct for warp fields that go beyond normal yeah. human understanding. Right. That's why I'm he like, can there's, manipulate there's a million with his possibilities. <laughs> why from him? But then again, I can view the math within split seconds and she takes it against everyone else. How about simulated? Well, I was going, <laughs> wait for me to get to that. 
I'll get to this point, that point after we're done with this discussion. But that that's a whole nother thing where you go, why? Why take this risk? Well, it's breaking down. You can rebuild it. It'll just take some hot time, but you can rebuild it and you can do this again. But you just take that chance with such a slim odds. And, and it's just, I think it mentally shows that she should not be in command right now. And she should have been after this discussion. And everyone said, no, she should have been relieved by Chicolte, told her, you're, no, I'm taking command until you get checked out, have the doc take her, and put her on leave for a while until she's psychologically cleared. Yeah, the whole, I mean, it's nice that they made the crystal argument as to why they push it. So th there's a reason, at least story-wise. However, uh, when everyone is giving you the red flag alert and you're still saying, damn, the torpedo's full steam ahead, full speed ahead. Well, uh, how bad do you want to get home? It's, it's kind of like, Scott, you said it earlier. I don't care if the whole crew goes down as long as they go down with me. Is that your attitude that you're going down with me? When, if we may, if I make it, that means you make it. If we, if I don't make it, you're not making it. It, it reminds me of Bill Murray in this movie Scrooge. He was talking to his assistant who had to go see a doctor and he's like, but Grace, if I work late, you work late. If I work late, you got to work late. If you can't work late, then I can't work late. And if I can't work late, then I can't work late. You're in, you and I are indivisible. That sounds kind of like what it is at this point. And it shows a lack of compassion for the rest of the crew where your crew is saying, alert, alert, alert. And your view is, well, you know, I, I don't feel like waiting another four or five years to get this thing going, which could have been four or five years of messing around on the holodeck. Who cares if you screw up the sim today? You still got three more years. Thank you, because that brings me to my big point of this. Rips and picks? Oh, yeah. Rips and picks! Rips and picks, rips and picks. Rips and picks! Boom. Here's my huge rip. How on earth is a holodeck that good? You have a unproven technology. Something you haven't even tested. You Nobody don't, has. Right. This is a completely new technology you've just built. You don't understand it completely. You haven't tested it yet. For one, you found a deviation in something that you just built and haven't tested and don't know if that deviation is natural or not. Who knows? Because you've just built this and this is completely new tech. This is, as an example, and it's, I think it's an impure example because this technology is way more advanced than even this. When we first made the hydrogen bomb, the Castle Bravo test, they didn't know what was going to happen. We'd already detonated nukes, but we hadn't made a hydrogen bomb yet. There was a betting pool that the entire atmosphere was going to blow up and be vaporized. Great. Let's detonate that one with that one being a betting pool. It was unlikely, but... Still, they bet on that. Also, when it actually went off, it was bigger than the mathematicians and the physicists thought. So even with all the tests and the modeling from before, they got that wrong wrong. This one is way more complicated. You got a bunch of stuff you've thrown together, mishmashed, somehow got it to work, supposedly. And now 
your holodeck, which suddenly just decides, oh, let's run the simulation. Why weren't you running the simulation A before this? But B, you now run it and you find out it doesn't work. Wow, that's a computer that's really good and somehow doing quantum calculations to things it shouldn't understand because no one has tested it. No one knows the modeling. How? How? How can this thing model something that shouldn't even have a model yet? Star Trek's computer always kind of does that. Jordy LaForge in the episode Booby Trap asks the computer um, if it's possible to reorient the crystal in flight. And the computer says that will be integrated into the next class starship. And he says, don't have time to wait. How could we do it? And the computer basically tells him. <laughs> so the computer always seems to be able to, when they need it to, come up with a solution. Talk about your deus ex machina. Right. Literally. <laughs> um, my rip. Oh, I think I know which one you're doing. This you're coming out of uh, <laughs> coming out of slipstream. Captain, the ship is damaged. Hull integrity is down. Warp engines are out. I think we can make this class M planet, but we might crash. Should we get everyone to escape pods? No. If I go down, you go down. Captain goes down with the ship. Minions go down with the captain bleepers. <laughs> Strap in. We're either living or we're all dying. Escape pods. I overrode those things. <laughs> it's Psycho Janeway. Well, I got another rip here that goes along with that one. I'm sorry. You managed to hit the planet going full impulse. You are not going to be lying there in a nice calm position. No, you are going to be a nice pink you're smear froze, on the bulkhead. You're frozen goo. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, you are goo on that bulkhead over there. You are not this calm lying there like you just keeled over from a heart attack. I'm sorry. And, you know, I, I here's one that just I'm still trying to figure out. So the Borg can communicate with each other through time. Yeah, that um, one never gets brought up again. So in other <sighs> words, why didn't the Borg queen find out what was going to happen to her in first contact and send a message back to herself before saying, oh, hey, by the way, or with species 8472, which do they show up before or after this episode? Well Does before. it matter? Well, before. Doesn't matter. It doesn't time. matter because time. So if the board can do that, you see, you see what I'm saying, Sickies? You can't just make up. Do and now you got to think all the impact. And yeah, second order effects. I understand. Through. And the problem is, I blame you, Rick Berman, as to why you see it more and more nowadays. Why it's gotten worse because you were able to insidiously drop it in and trick most people into thinking it was a good thing. Subsequent film direct writers have, uh, aren't even trying to cover the base. They just are burning their bridges with stupid mega powerful items that are quick fix alls that, you know, star killer bases. But this is an example because if the Borg can communicate through time, they're undefeatable. Didn't they? Yeah. And why haven't they done this before? Or more to the point, how come Harry Kim knows this? 
This sounds like this also, sounds like yeah, it this is be, supposed to be classified. This is I mean, supposed to be highly this, classified tech, and yeah, somehow what Kim this gets it. Be something that the Borg Collective would want to keep on the down low. You, I mean, that's like that's like the U.S. contacting Japan in the war. Hey, everybody, guess what? We've been breaking your naval code for the past two months, but don't change the code. Hey, Germany, we broke magic like a month ago. It'd be really helpful if you kept using it. You know, come on. It's a it's 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 a real problem because it's a universe breaking thing. You know, even you go back to first contact. If the board can travel back in time, why don't they travel back in time to assimilate every species that they, they you know, I mean, not that why the board to lose ever, to, but not that why limit it to just Earth? To be honest, though. You know, with a little tweaking, it would make sense if the Borg can communicate backwards in time with each other, which is how they adapt to phaser frequencies so quickly. But they should never be taken by surprise. Yeah. Because the Borg cube should be like, hey, uh, they came and destroyed us. Uh, well, right before we blew up, the, the torpedo was on this frequency. So just retune the subspace field to that. Yeah. It's going to hit here. Exactly. Yeah, it's a problem because, yeah, if the Borg have this community, this ability to communicate, you have to just... Also, I have yeah. that. Now, I do have a problem. That, thanks for bringing this up that I didn't even think about, but it's no duh. How a how did they get knowledge? Because, again, I'm sorry, this should be the top classification that maybe admirals know about this stuff. Why on earth do two people who obviously have psychological damage, which you might be just going okay, we're going to give them some medals and put them off somewhere so they don't cause problems. How do they find out about top secret stuff they should not know about and then may be able to somehow get into the facility to steal it where it should be under heavy guard, if not under spaceship guards? It's why they're fugitives, I guess. Because somehow magic, they managed to break into a high security and find out about classified tech. Oh, the devil from that animated episode helped them. Okay. Ah. Or Q. <laughs> Q snapped his fingers. Yeah, there we go. Sure, Who knows? There we go. Problem solved. It's yep. Star Trek. Mm. <laughs> um, I got one more rip. The crash compacted six decks Oof. into one. There's not a body intact on that ship. That's I'm what, sorry. That's we already said. You're frozen goo at this point. Yep. Did did Thomas? Did you say that? Yes. He said okay. that already. They're, they're they're frozen goo. Whoops. <laughs> I got distracted by something in the middle of that. Well, I have a football yeah. game in two hours, and I don't have enough people for it because people bailed at the last second. I guess you're not playing football. No, <laughs> I just got to figure out who to get and force them to play. But anyway, um, okay, Captain Janeway, I got your flag. I got your flag. <laughs> anyway, um, picks. Robert Picardo, the doctor's acting. Um, As always. Putting him, and you really see, putting him on display against the human sequoia tree <laughs> and, and Garrett Wong and the guest actress who, I'm sorry, that was the other horrible. Tree. You see the his amazing acting ability because he carries those scenes and he dominates those scenes. <clears throat> Um, and he shows you how to emote and he shows you like just little things. Like when he says she should be reasonably well-preserved, it's just, it's, it's, you know, he just, he has a way of delivering things that, that keeps a reality there. And, and, uh, you know, his ability as an actor is, is just, it's understated how talented he is. Um, I also want to say though, to LeVar Burton's directing in this was phenomenal and it got the best performance of the series 
out of Garrett Wong. And I, you know, we said Garrett Wong can act. And he showed you that if you give him the right role and you work with him and you help him find the role and the motivation for the character in that moment, and you give him material to work with, Harry Kim could have been a character that we all really liked. All right. Um, I got I got a couple of picks here. The Voyager set in the snow. That is a fantastic set. Yes, it was. Even though you see it for a very little, I think it was a fantastic set. A very good juxtaposition between the regular clean set. It really showed you a different set design. It was well done, clean in a dirty way. I think it was well done. The next one is the pacing and the use of the Delta Flyer as a transition piece. Because the Delta Flyer is used quite heavily to transition your time flame. That You're right on that. That was well done. So it, it, it's a set piece and your anchor between the two times. And it's done well that you also have that pacing that, ooh, we're going through the you know, wormhole. We, so you got that tension. But then you also have the tension on the other side of the time that they're being chased and they only have a little time left. And the tension is well played off of one another. And again, jumping back and forth between time would, I think most of the time is drawing. Yep. But somehow in this episode, they didn't do it and it kept and worked well together in a position that normally doesn't work. Again, LeBron Burton did a very good job, I think, directing and keeping that time skipping and jumping around grounded. Yep. Yeah, the guy who directed, uh, I want to say it's either uh, Nemesis or Insurrection, uh, kept referring to LeVar Burton as Laverne. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That guy, I don't think he ever directed anything else. But yeah, an award-winning actor who's also an award-winning director, and the director of that movie wouldn't even take time to learn his name. (laughs) Well, and it shows because uh, especially if it was Nemesis, it's like, wow, you made one of the movies that everyone hates more or less. And not just because Data dies. Yep. Rage, you got any more rips and picks? Oh, yeah. I got All right. one rip. Fire that, away. Or one pick that really, um, there's the scene where, of course, the rip would be, oh, look, another time thing where the warp core is about to fly out or something. Uh, but the pick is that they're down to um, just minutes. And Harry Kim's losing it. Justifiably so. And the doctor walks up and says, I need you to keep it together. We need you. Lives are on the line. We need you to pull it together. And they do it. When you compare that to a lot of modern writing where they would have a halt the brakes, play the sad music. And let's all share our feelings and talk about psychology. <laughs> For a good five minutes. Instead, it's, we don't have the time right now. You need to get it together. In other words, it's dialogue written for adults. It's not, and that's, again, I, I've harped on it before. I'll do it again. Modern Trek is children's writing. It's written by and for children. Because not even children, like angsty little preteens. That's what it's written for. Because I still can't get over this. 
the dialogue from a character in a Star Trek show saying, that's the power of math. Really? That passed a writer's room? When I was growing up, that was the kind of writing that was in a stupid children's show to get you to like learning. Okay, there was a show called AJ's Time Traveler that he activated his time traveling computer by saying knowledge is power. And it was cheesy, but it was designed for 10 year olds. So you kind of just go, yeah, well, you know, audience and whatnot. But now we have guys, Kurtzman and the geniuses over at uh, at CBS who seem to think that that kind of dialogue makes for quality dialogue. It's mature and gives me the quote-unquote feels. All we have to do is make sure we drop a few F-bombs in there so we can look gritty and mature. And bam, we've got, we are now adulting. And oh, by the way, if you use adulting, what's wrong? It's called growing up. Adulting is a natural. <laughs> it's like you people made up the word adulting because you want an award for getting older. Like, oh, I'm adulting. I learned how to pump gas today. That's adulting. I paid my bills. Adulting. Hashtag adulting. Do you want an award? Is that what you're fishing for? Oh, I forgot. You do. Adulting isn't a thing. It's called growing up. Grow up. Stop asking for special pats on the back because you do what everybody who's civilized does. Going back to this dialogue. Uh, yeah, this is sensible dialogue in a sensible situation. Now, of course, it is cheesy that Harry Kim pulls it together at the last minute. We knew he would, and you could criticize that. Fine, I'm with you. But the fact that they keep it together, keep it civil. It's a case of we don't have time to raise our voice and yell like children. We have to get this together. So get it together or people are going to die. Okay, if not the Voyager, us here when the Warp core goes, goes kerplack. So figure it out. You got a choice, A or B. Be a big boy. And he didn't even have to say be a big boy. He doesn't have to go, you need to adult, which is what they do in modern day writing. Because being, because hashtag adult feels lull or whatever the crap Twitter's treading now and five minutes not there. Great dialogue, even if the scene was cheesy and chintzy and, you know, okay. But it's it's a show written by adults for adults. And the fact that you're trying to too busy cater to your preteen demographic or whatever Kurtzman's doing these days is one of the many reasons why Star Trek is not landing with the next generation. Because when you write that crappily, when you just write that, yeah, I can say crap. I can make an adverb out of that word. <laughs> Adulting when you, crappily. <laughs> when you make dialogue that chintzy and you're trying to act like them, why should they take you seriously? Well, I'm sorry. Thanks you, Rand. All I see in my head right now is Bert, Big Bert swearing like a sailor. And that's what they want! This has been a quick rant. A raving lunatic media production handed over to the Rage Master since I never write them. Yeah, yeah. I hate the word adulting. If you're using the word adulting, I got one for you. Grow up. Okay. 
Quick Rants brought to you proudly by Raving Lunatic Media. We were able to say, I was able to segue Star Trek into growing up and being mature. That was a good thing, right? Pretty good at at that. Scott's looking at me askance like, what the frick are you doing here? I don't even want to do this. Why is this happening? Time to rate it. Yep, he's done. How many half-severed board heads do you give this one? Wow, I was just going to say how many phase variants, but you're in charge. How many half severed heaven of heaven of nine? How many half severed seven of nine cranial implants do you give this? Heaven of nine. I think I need to tell Sarah something about that. Like, uh, yeah, just so you know, this is how he thinks of uh, certain things. And no, I'm sh- sure the cosplay. You no, know, she's was a costume. blonde she... too. Maybe we could get it uh, anyway. <laughs> You're saying that he likes the seven of nine cosplay. He's looking at the ceiling now, like. Oh, baby. No, no, that's not where I'm going at all. But still. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gotta get the eyepiece. <laughs> yeah, see, he's already on it. Like, oh, no, she's, she's got the hair for her. We could probably do this. <laughs> oh, that's so wrong. Thanks. Uh. <laughs> okay, let's rate this before. Uh. How many seven of nine fantasies? Ah, what am I doing? <laughs> Who went to the gutter now? I Who know. went to the gutter what You happened? went to the gutter. You went to the gutter this time. Oh, you know Jesus, what it is? Just Rage Master just went. He always just goes to the gutter so quickly. You know what it is? You know what it is? <laughs> it's because I am not first miking, so I've taken over Scott's role. <laughs> well, congratulations. You have gone to what the gutter. What the frick is this? <laughs> okay. You went to the gutter. Scott he went to reply. Scott just put an interesting picture on my mic. I'm assuming that's left over from like... Uh, Oh, wow. What, where was that? Okay, Sickies, I'm not going to describe the pig, but Scott does have to explain to me where it came from. Off the air. Okay, fine. <laughs> Let's just say that it was not flattering. <laughs> anyway, how would I rate it? I would definitely give this a nine. Yeah, it's got its flaws. I like most of Voyager, honestly. But it is a very good example, again, of time travel. But... Uh, it uses it wisely, and it's it's back to the future-ish in that uh, I need to go back and f- correct this error. And you believe the emotion behind Harry Kim. You really, he's a guy that blames himself. And now, it's not because of his negligence. It's not because he's an incompetent person. He made a mistake on something that, quite honestly, no one had ever done. But, of course, survivor's guilt would kick in. Who, of, who wouldn't suffer survivor's guilt from that? So having that kind of drive to take that kind of risk, I, I buy it. I buy it. Even if some of the, even if some of the uh, elements were sloppy, I buy it. Also, I do like Thomas's point where it shows the ship in present time is kind of the middle point, that linking between past and, and present. It's very well done. I want to give it more than nine. I do. I can't. And the reason being, it's an excellent episode. It's a good one. It has great set pieces. CGI still holds up. The time travel works well. The juxtapositions work well. Everything's great. Except some of the acting is terrible. The love angle thing is just awful. It, It has such... Good parts to it. 
but then it jumps to this other stuff that's stupid and awful. Oh, okay. I, I, I will give it a 9.25. I will give it a little bit more. But I don't think it's perfect. It, it has its flaws. As an episode of Voyager, I would rate this a 10. Because I do believe that this is Voyager at its best. Um, as an episode of science fiction, I will give this a nine and a half. The story will resonate forever. It will never go out of out of date. No, give it a nine point four seven. Okay, you're right. I'll give it a nine point four seven. Um, it will never go out of date. It will never go stale. Um, the the acting for the most part, with the exception of the human sequoia tree and unnamed guest actress who um, emotes about as well as I do in our skits at the beginning of the episodes each week, uh, does bring that down. And here's the thing. This thing could have been a 10 if the love story between Chakotay and um, Tessa was believable. The problem is that it wasn't. And I think that's a big part of what was supposed to be there. It added more of a sacrifice of what Chakotay was giving up to do this. And without, I mean, they act more like, like Harry said, they're having sex. They act more like two friends with benefits who aren't going to be able to enjoy their benefits any longer after this. They don't act like two people who truly love each other more than anything in the world. Some stoic, silent handholding um, doesn't really convey this message and and every time she's supposed to deliver these powerful heartfelt love things i feel like it's delivering it to the chucky doll over here um it just it just wow. doesn't it doesn't come through i don't believe that she has any feelings for him more than she would for her favorite potted plant if she was saying goodbye to it for the last time her wow. ability to emote love emotion and i care about this man Somehow, she does a worse job of that in my mind than the human sequoia tree. At least the human sequoia tree can come across as if he's 1950s man who would have to stab himself in the eye if he showed that he loved his wife or his kids. Um, you know, but she, she, she can't even emote better than him in this. And so, yeah, that takes something away from it. And if I'm being fair and I don't have my Star Trek blinders on, it probably takes it down to a nine. But I have my Star Trek blinders on. So 9.47 as a piece of Voyager 10. Overall, this is an, an incredibly well-written story. And from a writing perspective, it would be a 10. You just, not even LeVar Burton's directing could save the Chakotay Tessa love scene because you had two people incapable of showing emotion. You might yeah. as well have had a uh, Data and, uh, well, I was going to say, well, it, it doesn't matter. You might as well have had two robots trying to say they love each other because it just didn't come through. Data can data. I believe that data loves his cat spot more than Tessa loves Chicote. And I'll leave it at wow. that. <laughs> wow. That well, it was a uh, very um, underwhelming. Yeah. Plus Tessa, just the, you call those maneuvers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very well, bad. Chicote should have said it that way. Yes. The other thing I think, I you know, I think the score let him down. Rick Berman made a decision after season three of Star Trek that uh, the the music should be um, generic and not overpower the scenes. And if you go back, like some of the music in the first three episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation is phenomenal. And amazingly, the guy who didn't get fired from season one and two of Star Trek The Next Generation was the guy who did the score. And oh. um, 
you you really needed a powerful, powerful score to convey some of these emotions in the action tense, and it didn't happen, and it came out flat. And I think some of this would have been better with a better job of scoring this episode, too. But, all right. How did I give that a 9.47? I don't know. Star Trek blinders. That's a, yeah, that's a pretty solid uh, 999 right there. Pretty much. That's a Chucky Ducky plan there, so... Well, anyway, <laughs> how how do people uh, what's going on in the rest of the raving lunatic world? Well, the we raving lunatic verse. Yeah, we got the Lunaverse. It's the, the Lunaverse. <laughs> Jeez. Why do we think these things after the fact? Uh, anyway, we got cold case chases back. There was Lady Bluebeard last last week. Check that out. Shane delivered a very good episode about a sick lady that for some reason insure well back in the day clearly they weren't paying attention to things like insurance claims because she had three or four of them after dead husbands and family guess folks didn't communicate quickly enough back then does the lady have a beard and is it blue no it's based off a of french advertising based on a french fairy tale called blue beard about murder hobo who has a bunch of dead wife ex-wives in his closet and tells his current wife just don't go in that room and everything will be fine so they called her Lady Bluebeard off of that. French fairy tales are weird. You know what? Traditional fairy tales are weird in general. True, Original but Cinderella. They, they, don't uh, don't forget the whatever French Revolution, so Fraser Jaca, whatever is about losing decapitation. That's supposed to be a lullaby. Pierre. Oh yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, French are weird. Hansel and Gretel. She's gonna. They push the witch into the oven because she can't cook. I'm the telling you. Just oh, really I know. Fairy tales. Fairy tales are, are weird. And I think at the beginning version. of Hansel and Gretel, doesn't the dad just drop them off in the woods because he doesn't want yep. them anymore? He just they can't afford them, <laughs> so they just kick them out in the forest. And the other, and when they get back, their parents are like, "What? What are you doing? Ow! The witch didn't cook you." <laughs> so. Anyway, it's almost like he dumped him off in the woods a second time. It was like, and this time, stay lost. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so we got that. We'll have Case of the Chills coming along. And of course, Damn next sheep week, skin, sheepskin condoms. <laughs> next month, we're going to have now see Scott's back. <laughs> Next week, we'll have a new Zodiac Task Force drop, along with next month, a special little Valentine's episode that I think will. Well, OK, I'm biased, so but I enjoy Zodiac. Ta I've been listening to it, Sickies, and I, we've gotten better and better as time went on. So give it a shot. And if you need to contact us uh, for any reason, you can contact us at www.janewayscrushedminions.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com. And if any of you know Kevin Smith or J.J. Abrams, please tell them I'm trying to get in contact with them. Rage Master, what's left for them to do? Stay sick, sickies. And watch out for Carol Baskin. <laughs>